Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Father Dave Pivanka, TOR, Director of Post-Novitiate Formation for the Franciscan Third Order Regular Sacred Heart Province, giving a talk entitled, More of You and Less of Me. Father Pivanka's talk was part of the Leadership Conference sponsored by the Center for Leadership at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the spirituality of leadership. We're going to, obviously we've had liturgy, we're going to go on to Holy Hour, so that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight. And as uh, Dave mentioned, I walk the Camino, so I walked 500 miles across Spain. And Ron asked me if I would talk a little bit about leadership, things that I've learned from that. So uh, tonight's a little bit more spirituality. Uh, tomorrow morning will be a little more practical. Amen? So if I say amen, you respond. Amen. And I do that, why? To keep you awake, all right? Because it's really tacky to fall asleep when a priest is up here, all right? So uh, let's start with a story. I was this, as a priest, here, I, for a number of years, I was the director of the youth conferences, so uh, led the youth conferences. And I remember two freshmen coming into my office. They'd been here about a month. They were excited about being at Franciscan University, and they were sharing with me all of the things, all the wonderful things that they were going to do with there at the university. And, and they were talking about how one was going to be the head of the, of the pro-life group, one was going to be a Eucharistic minister, one wanted to lead the music, one was going to be a household corner, all of these wonderful things that they were going to do and lead when they were on, at the university, which was great. And their excitement, and their passion, and all the things that they wanted to do was fantastic. So at the end of the conversation, I said to them, my hope for you is that you would be holy when you graduate from here. Just kind of left it at that. So about three years later, I was, uh, I was also the director of the Gaming program. So they were in Gaming, and uh, they came up to me and they said, do you remember that time when we were freshmen and you were telling me all the things that we were going to do and all this great stuff we were going to do? And you said to us, Our, my prayer for you is that you would be holy. So they said, do you remember saying that? I said, no. <laughs> I said, well, you said that. Uh, and we were mad at you. Like, we walked back from there and we said, who does he think he is saying we wants me? Doesn't he know who we are? I mean, we've been following the Lord for almost four years now. I mean, come on. So these little, little attitudes that, uh, freshmen are awesome. Any freshmen here? I love you guys. You guys are rock stars, all right? Kind of clueless, but rock stars nonetheless. Amen? Not that we ever grow out of that. I was sharing with... Uh, just being back here, there's lots of memories. So when I was a, a young priest here, it was a night just like this. I was the director of the orientation program. So we had an orientation program, and it was a beautiful night. We had a nice snow, and we're about in the middle of this session. And I said, okay, let's just stop. Let's go sledding. And they're like, what? And I said, let's just, we're not going to do that tonight, by the way. I said, let's just change all the plans. Everybody go back to the room, just change clothes, get dressed, we'll go sledding. So we went sledding. The only... Should I even tell this? <laughs> well, okay, I already started. So the only problem was is we didn't have any sleds, so we borrowed some trays from the cafeteria. <laughs> so we, we started sledding, and I'm from Colorado, the most beautiful state in the country, and uh, so there was this suggestion, well, let's, let's sled standing up. So we'll just kind of go down on this tray standing up, which I thought was a fantastic idea at the time, all right? So the first time I did this, I went down and everything was fantastic, all right? The second time I went down, I crashed and I broke my collarbone, did what's called a class four separation of my AC joint, wasn't able to celebrate mass for like a month and all this. Why did I tell that story? 
ask me. That's right. So, so you don't, you don't, you don't actually outgrow that. So, uh, so, so now you just get a little glimpse into my world. All right. So these girls were frustrated with me, and they were mad at me, and they were saying, you know, what is he talking about? What does it mean to be holy? But that's honestly my my prayer for all of us. Is that when we graduate, uh, that we're more holy than we are today. Is is if we're going to be leaders, and I thought what David said at the beginning was beautiful. If if we're going to be leaders, what I, what I call gospel leaders, and by that, uh, some of you are going to be leaders as religious or priests or deacons, but most of you are not going to be that. And you're going to be leaders, whether you're physicians or nurses or teachers or firemen or whatever it is that you're going to do, you're going to be a leader. And my hope and my prayer is, is that you're a gospel leader. And what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like to be a gospel leader? What does it mean for us to be holy? Uh, Dave said at the beginning that one of the, one of the components is this idea of character. I mean, we live in a culture that debates whether or not character matters. Like I remember past politicians and stuff who do really stupid things and they say, well, does character really matter? Can you really lead and be a good, effective leader without character? And we've come to the point that says yes. Is that we live in a world and a culture that says that character doesn't matter. And rarely do I quote NFL quarterbacks, but I'll quote one. Kurt Warner was the quarterback for the St. Louis Rams and, and then ultimately for the Arizona Cardinals. And this was a quote of his speaking about character. He says, strength of character gives validation and credence to the message. That the strength of our character, people are going to listen to us, ultimately, if we're going to be gospel leaders, because of the strength of our character and the witness that we give through that. So I suggest that character, this idea of character and virtue and, and what I'm going to speak to, holiness, matters. And it matters no matter what it is that we're doing, whether we're a priest, whether we're a mom changing diapers, whatever it is, this idea of being holy and this call to be holy, to call to gospel leadership, at the center of that, I believe, is ultimately a radical call that the Lord has given to us to be holy. And what we have to come to and, and understand is, what does that mean for me to be holy? Why is it that the Lord has invited me to be holy? What does that look like? Huh? What does it even matter? Why is it that I should be holy? And ultimately, as we all know, we're holy because God is holy. Huh? Isaiah 6.3 says, God is holy. Leviticus 11.44, be holy because God is holy. And as a gospel leader, if I want to resent, represent, as was said, Jesus Christ, then it's imperative that I live a life that is a life of holiness, that my life looks different than somebody else's, that your life looks different from somebody else because you're a disciple of Jesus and because you love the Lord, and we lead differently because of that, amen? I mean, it makes a difference, doesn't it, that we believe and that we have faith, that we can take an individual that doesn't have faith and an individual who has faith, and the way they lead should be different. The world should be able to see that and recognize that. That I, uh, that I desire, brothers and sisters, to be holy because God dwells in me. Huh? Because the living God dwells in me. We'll talk a little bit about this more tomorrow. But that should make a difference. The, the way I interact with people, the way I interact with colleagues, the way I interact with people who work for me should be different because the living God dwells in you and in me. Amen? And it's important that we understand that. Is that, is that Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
But this idea of him living in me is not this, this, this vague little piece of Jesus that was given to me in baptism, rather that I've been grafted into him. And that our goal and our desire is that we get lost in that. That I am holy because God dwells in me and because he's invited me to live this dynamic relationship with him that impacts everything that I do. I get frustrated because I think at times people think faith and religion and holiness is an extracurricular activity, and it's not. It's got to be something that's all pervasive in everything that we do. That my life looks different, my entertainment looks different, what I listen to looks different, what it looks different because of this radical call that the Lord has given me to be holy. So when we discuss uh, what, what this means for us to be holy and, and why it is that we're holy, we're reminded that holiness isn't, actually, as Father said this evening so beautifully, holiness isn't just being good. God bless you. I've met a lot of people who are really good but not holy. I've met a lot of people who, who don't even have faith, and they're good people. They're not holy. And I've met people who struggle with sin and struggle with temptation and struggle with, in a relationship with the Lord and there's something about them that's holy. It's not even, it's not even doing about perfect. Father mentioned again about being perfect. This call to perfection, for the Jewish understanding, the call to perfection that Father spoke about isn't this thing that we attain, it's this process. Is that, that I'm never going to be fully perfect, but that's the process that I'm going through. So when the, whole, when the Lord says, be perfected, be perfect, it's this process. So holiness isn't just about being good. It's not just about doing it right. It's not just about not doing. Rather, holiness is about a relationship. Huh? Holiness says a lot more about God than it does about me. And it's not necessarily about doing this or that, and it's not necessarily about not doing this or that. It's not just about being good. It's not just about being moral. It's rather that our life looks such that when people see us, and when people listen to us, they say there's something different about that person. And there's a strength of character to them. Amen? Amen. So what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like to be holy. If, if we believe what I believe and what I think is true, that, that fundamentally a person who believes leads differently than somebody who doesn't, what does that look like? Can we look and can we see it? Well, I had an experience when I was a postulant. And, and for those of you who aren't totally familiar with the, the terms of religious life, postulant is uh, your first year. So when you first enter religious life, you're postulant. So you're postulant, you're a novice, you're post-novitiate, solemn vows, ordination if you want to be ordained. There is nothing lower in the human history than a postulant. Freshmen, you guys have got it made. You are above postulants, all right? Postulant, there is, it's just, it's, it's the bottom. I mean, you are plebes. You are, a, I mean, it's almost said with contempt. It's like, oh, you're a postulant, you know? Huh? Well, I remember uh, I was a postulant. And uh, this guy who was in vows, and he was already in vows, so it's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's in vows and all this. And, and we, were, we were fooling around one day, and, and he looked at me, and he said to me, he said, Dave, I used to think you were holy, but now I realize you're an extrovert. <laughs> Which one of you clapped? 
I didn't quite know how to respond to that. <laughs> so as a postulate, you want to you do this right. Huh? So it, it really struck me. It's like, I used to think you were holy. Now I realize you're an extrovert. So maybe extroverts don't make very good religious. As it turns out, my personality type is the smallest personality type of religious. So I begin to tell myself that if I'm going to be holy, which was always the desire of my heart, I remember sitting in Andy Minto's class and him, pre him preaching, him giving a, a class in holiness, and just being animated by it. I mean, the deepest desire of my heart is always to be holy. So this guy says, I used to think you were holy, now I realize you're an extrovert. So I come to the place, well, if I'm going to be holy, it must mean that I'm not going to be an extrovert. Holiness must be something other than being an extrovert. And, and holiness must not be fooling around and goofing off. Like when I was a postulate, the novices, they're one above you. They're pretty low still, but they're one above you, all right? Well, as a postulate, we short-sheeted the beds of the novices, not aware that you weren't supposed to do that. You know, <laughs> Apparently there's rules in that. Didn't say anything. I read the rule of St. Francis. It said nothing about that. <laughs> Who knew? These are things like secrets that you learn as you're in religious life long enough. You know? Don't short sheet the novices bed, they're so touchy. <laughs> so if I'm gonna be holy, I'm probably gonna bow a lot more because holy people must bow a lot. Holy people probably carry incense with them most of the time. Because you never know when it's not a bad idea to whip out some incense, all right? Holiness are probably a lot quieter than I am, huh? The person who said that isn't in our community anymore. And I am. I hope that's a blessing, huh? What does it look like for us to be holy, huh? You see, it has much more to do about God than it does about me. And I think a danger that we have is, is that we make holiness about, about doing or, or about looking like. And it's much more about being. It's much more about being in love with God, just radically being in love with God and being loved by Him. You see, I think one of the greatest dangers in this call to holiness, and it's a reality, and that is that we look to other people. You know, we look around at other people, and, and, and as a passion, I look around and say, well, these people look much more holy than I do because they're a lot quieter and they're, and they're, they're probably more reverent and so that's what I have to be, and, and it isn't what I have to be. Uh, the, the thing that I've come to understand is that, in fact, what holiness is, is me being the person that God created me to be. Me being Dave, and that's what it means to be holy. And for me to try to be something else, or try to be what somebody else wants me to be, just isn't it. And it was a tremendous freedom when I came to this place and understand that what holiness means for me is to me to be in a radical relationship with the person of Jesus Christ where my life is being continually transformed and renewed and made whole. But it isn't about what somebody else wants me or expects me to do. And it isn't because that this is what this person says holiness is, that that's what I have to do. And I experienced that, brothers and sisters, particularly here on this campus, huh? And so oftentimes we look and we say, well, this must be what holiness is because of this group or what they do or what this expectation is, and it just isn't. Holiness is you in a personal relationship with the Lord 
being faithful to what he has asked you to do. It's your gifts, it's your talents, it's your history, it's your past, it's all of that. And it's all of those things that are unique to you that the Lord is actually going to transform and to make holy. And what we have to stop doing is, is looking at what other people do or what necessarily expectations that they have on us and go before the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that I need to do to be holy? As we heard in the gospel tonight, Lord, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? Because there's something for me. And I just experienced time and time again is that we look to other people and what we need to look is at the Lord. And that's not to say that the saints don't give us models and ideas and examples and all of those. I mean, I sit here, stand here dressed like a friar. So that's not to say that they don't have something to say to us. They obviously do. But I cannot be St. Francis. Amen? Amen? Because we've had one. But we haven't had me. We haven't had you. And, and there's a beautiful gift in you being you and not apologizing for it and not trying to move away from it. And I'm not talking, I'll talk later about, about having sin and all that kind of stuff, that transformation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the image and likeness that you have, the way that you can reveal God in a manner in which nobody can, that there's something singularly unique about you. And that will be effective in your leadership because everybody's going to do things differently. And I'm going to relate to people. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. I'm going to relate to people that, that, that some people aren't going to like me. And my personality is such that they just don't. And that's fine. And there's some people that you're going to be able to affect and impact more than I will. And we can do that best if we can be the individual that the Lord has created us to be. And I suggest that there is a great freedom in that, that we stop worrying about what this expectation or what the world or whatever, and just be me. Amen? Amen? Resist this idea to be something other than who you are. Leo the Great said, Oh, Christian, recognize your dignity. Your God has become that which you are. Huh? Recognize your dignity. Your God has become that which you are. The human person, the beauty and the goodness and the holiness that is in that. St. Gregory said, if we could see each other the way God sees us, we would be tempted to bow down and worship. But there is something singular and unique about you that the Lord is going to bless, and we need not apologize for that. Amen? And we'll talk tomorrow, but I don't care what your past is. It is that the Lord can use you, and he can use your past, and he can use whatever it is that brought you here to this place at this time, at this moment. Amen? Amen. So, what does holiness look like? It looks like you. So if all you have your little phones and that kind of thing, you can go ahead and take a picture of yourself on the way to the chapel, all right? Okay? You're wondering, I wonder what holiness, you can look at that, all right? None of you are going to do it, so don't say, oh, okay, all right, Father. <laughs> but maybe I'll make you do it. But this thing is, is and then we understand, and it's, it's what I think Father was alluding to this evening, and that is that, I, that this is a process. You know, those, those freshman girls, they thought they were there, and they realize now, and especially now, because they've got kids. And I hear that it's difficult raising kids sometimes. I don't know, but I hear that it is. And I hear that sometimes having children draws things out of yourself that's not the most beautiful, most virtuous, all right? I've heard this, stories about this, all right? And they understand more now than they did as freshmen here that this call to holiness is a process. 
and it's a journey, and it takes time. And for my, my Franciscan community, for the Franciscans Third Order Regular, this main charism that we have is conversion. That this conversion leads to a life of holiness, but this conversion is not something that happens once. It's a metanoia. Has everybody heard the word metanoia? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But this metanoia is this, this process of conversion. It's a Greek word, and I'll use maybe two or three Greek words because that's all I know. All right? So it's this Greek word, but, it, but the, the sense of it is that it's ongoing and it's continuous, and we're never, I'm never through being converted, and there's this place that I'm never going to be satisfied because there's always more. There's always more conversion. There's always more holiness. There's always greater character. There's always greater virtue. And the time and the place when I said, I'm there, finally, I'm done hopefully will be about 20 minutes after I die. Because this place, when we get to where we're stagnant, it says, I'm done. But metanoia doesn't allow that, that, that there's this constant conversion that we have to experience. You're familiar with NET, anyone? NET, National Evangelization Team? Okay, I was on NET. I, I like to say I was on NET before they had rules, okay? Because we'd get a letter. It used to be, it's really cool, you used to be able to do this thing where you take a piece of paper, all right? And you would write on a piece of paper, and you'd fold it, and you put it in an envelope. And then you would take it, and you'd put it in this box. And then like a week later, it would show up in another box in a whole different city. It was called a letter. It was really pretty amazing. <laughs> so we would get these letters all the time about new rules. Apparently, band surfing and all that stuff was not supposed to be done. It seems like this is kind of the story of my life, actually. Um, but I remember we were at this one place, and it was, uh, we were staying with some people who were doing evangelization on a college campus, and they were not Catholic, they were Protestants. Uh, and we were sleeping in their apartment, and they thought I was asleep, and in fact, I wasn't. So I was listening to their whole conversation, <laughs> which was really, really enlightening, all right? And what they were talking about is whether or not I'd been converted. And one of them says, is he converted? And another one says, well, he talks like he is. And he kind of seems to act like it, but he's Catholic. They <laughs> say, well, then he really can't be, could he? I don't think so, but he talks like he is. I mean, he's talked about the Holy Spirit. He's talked about, Pen he's talked about Pentecost. <laughs> this guy's a freak. <laughs> Obviously, we as Catholics believe that this process takes place. Then it's a process of metanoia. It's not an individual thing that happens once, but it continues to happen, huh? Because this life of holiness, this life of conversion, is something that's ongoing, and we, it's a process, and we come to understand that. And, and we can look in the life of Francis and see that. St. Francis, probably the Pope, too. For us who are friars, it's become very complicated having a Holy Father Francis, who's the Holy Father Francis. But Francis, we have the, the beginning of his call, huh? You know, that that he's a young man, he's a knight, and, and he was injured, and he's in the cell, and he has this vision, this image of, of armor, and the Lord hears, the Lord say, who's it better to serve, me or to serve me? And, and Francis says, well, it's better to serve you then. So this is the beginning of it, huh? But this is just the beginning. We have the other experiences that you're aware of, Francis and the San Damiano Cross. He's, he goes before the San Damiano Cross, and, and those of you who've been at Assisi, I mean, you, you can go to the Santa Clara, and you can sit and, and pray in front of that same cross, and Francis goes on the cross, and and he hears the Lord say to him, rebuild my church, huh? But that wasn't the end either. A year after that, Francis and the lepers repulsive. He found them repulsive. And, and lepers would come to him, and they would be close to him, and, they, and he would go the other direction. And, and leper, Francis is down in the, in the Umbrian Valley, and the lepers are coming, and, and he goes, and he, and he embraces him. 
another part of his conversion. In the story that the Father shared at liturgy tonight, this opening up the scriptures, which we call Bible roulette today, huh? Uh, opens up these scriptures and he hears the scriptures, tell everything, and he says, this is what I've longed for. This image of Francis' time after, and these are many years apart from each other, huh? that he has these experiences that, that he becomes more converted, and he becomes more converted, and he becomes more, and in, in near his deathbed, Francis says, that up until now we've done little. I mean, really, Francis, he says, if somebody else would have been given the grace that I'd been given, they'd have done much more than I. Up until now, we've done that. This process, to, literally, to his deathbed. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we see ourselves on this journey of conversion? Where do we see ourselves in this, in this journey of, of, of metanoia, of conversion, of becoming holy? And the challenge here for us and the thing that I think is so important is that we come to that place that we understand what it is that I need to be converted from. Because I think the part about what we're to be converted to is easy. I mean, I want to be converted to Jesus. I want to become more transformed. Francis was called the mirror of Christ. Why? Because he so reflected Jesus that there was this mirror that you would look at him and you I, that's what I want, huh? I remember the time when I saw Mother Teresa for the first time. You look at this woman, and she's about four foot four, and she radiated hope. That's what I want, huh? So how is that? If that's what I want to be converted to, the question that we don't spend enough time with, I think, is what is it that I need to be converted from? We talk about virtue with patience and, and holiness and, and charity and kindness and compassion and all of these kinds of things, which are great, but what we often fail is to be able to take a moment and look at it. What is it that the Lord wants me to be converted from? And I think one of the things that the Lord invites us to be converted from, which inhibits so many of us, is fear. Is fear. Fear doesn't allow us to lead the way the Lord wants us to lead. That's in the bigger picture. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. Fear doesn't allow me to be the disciple that Jesus wants me to be. If we take a look at Matthew 25, we're familiar with the story. Matthew 25, 25. It's the story where the three individuals were given coins, all right? One, ten, one, five, one, one, something like that. Okay, so he's come back. You ten, you've done good. Well done. We're going to give more money, double and all that kind of thing. We all know the story, right? Good. Okay. We do, right? better. <laughs> so Matthew 25, 25, the one speaking to the, to the master, he says, then the one who had received only one talent came forward and he said, master, I knew that you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and I buried the talent in the ground. And we know the end of the story, you know, throw him into the dungeon. Man. Out of fear, I buried it. And guys, I think that's many of our stories. Is because of fear, we literally bury. Fear is, is paralyzing. It doesn't allow us to move. It doesn't allow us to do what the Lord wants us. It doesn't allow us to be the person that we're created to be, huh? I love what John the 23rd, I love John the 23rd. Let's not forget, yes, John Paul is being canonized the same, but he's being canonized with John the 23rd, all right? Now, John the 23rd is a saint, so he's not up there thinking, okay, give me a little bit more love. He's not worried about that, all right? But I suggest we probably would not be here if it wasn't for John the 23rd. And every time I've been to Rome, I don't know how many times I've been to Rome, uh, I go and I pray the rosary in the tomb, in front of the tomb of John the 23rd, and he's off to the right, and you get to see him, he's incorrupt, he's got a big nose. Um, and I pray a rosary there, and I say thank you. John the 23rd said this, 
consult not your fears, but your hopes and your dreams. Think not about frustrations, but about your unfulfilled potential. Concern yourself not with what you've tried and failed, but with what is still possible for you to do. I mean, that's so insightful when he says in the beginning that consult not your fears. I mean, think about that. We do that. You know, we're, we're confronted with this situation, we're invited to do something, and, and we consult our fears. It's like, look, you know, fear, what do you think? Could I do this? We're speaking to fear, consulting our fears. I need some advice here. Fear, could I do this? Are you serious? You're a loser. No, you shouldn't do that. Everybody's going to laugh at you. Do not do that. You know, I think you're right. That's great. Consult not your fears. Consult not your fears. But beautifully, the Holy Father says, but your dreams and your hopes. I mean, just, just, just think about that image for a moment. When, when we're confronted with a situation or circumstance, to whom is it that I want to consult? And the Holy Father presents us this image. We have an image of being able to consult our fear or our hope. And yet, brothers and sisters, oftentimes we consult our fear. And we allow our fear to dictate what it is that we're going to do or dictate what we're not going to do. And I think the Lord wants to be able to free us from that. It doesn't allow us to be holy. It doesn't allow us to be converted. It doesn't allow me to be the man of God, the priest that God wants me to be, because I'm afraid. Why in the scriptures did Jesus say over 50 times, be not afraid? I love John Paul. I absolutely love it. I call myself John Paul II Pope, priest, okay? But he didn't make up, be not afraid, all right? Everybody quotes as John Paul said, be not afraid. Yes, John Paul said that, but he got it from somewhere else. I'm not saying he plagiarized, I'm just saying he got it from somewhere else. Huh? Why did Jesus say over 50 times, don't be afraid because we're afraid? And it inhibits us, and it paralyzes us, and we literally bury ourselves. And to stick with that image from Matthew 25, 25. I knew you were a hard man, so I took it and I buried it. Couldn't be seen, huh? There's a quote, and I wrestled whether or not to share it. There, it's just a powerful quote. Marianne Williamson. Did anyone see the movie Coach Carter? I'm sure you're all familiar with this quote. This quote, your deepest fear. Huh? You're familiar with it? No? You're about to be. All right. Uh, in, in this particular movie, that it's a basketball coach. All right, and he's talking to his players about their fear, and he says that it's essential that we face our fears. Because if we're not, if we're not dealing with what is the fear, and again, this is what we're talking about is what we're being converted from into. We're being converted from fear, huh? So our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant or gorgeous, talented or fabulous? Actually, who are we not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will, won't feel insecure around you. We are meant to shine as children do. We are born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Amen? 
the scripture says, Matthew 15, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. If you've been to the Holy Land and Jesus is preaching this, uh, he's in the Sea of Galilee, he's looking up to the, above Capernaum, there's a city up on the hill, and you know, you can just imagine this late at night, a city on the hill, huh? Do not light your lamp and put it under a bushel basket, and set, you set it on a lampstand, where it gives light to all of the house, just so your light must shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Heavenly Father. And yet all too often, I think, honestly, we're afraid of being seen. We're afraid that, that people are going to see, or we're afraid that they're going to see us, and, and they know we're fake, or we're not... But, but we've got to be seen, and, and we've got to be able to live this light, uh, in, in, as, as Marianne Williams, who did the court, Your Deepest Fear, because when, when I live freely, when I live in the light, when I live outside of fear, it liberates other people. They look at you and they say, there's something different about you. How is it that you're not afraid? And then it's an opportunity, obviously, to share the love of the Lord with them. Amen. Uh, one, one time I was speaking at a conference and the lady was taking me back to the airport. And I was talking about John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I've come so that you may have life and had it more abundantly. And I was talking about how the, this desire to live this life abundantly. Jesus didn't say, I've come so that you may get by. I've come so that you can survive, but live life abundantly. Live life as a light in a world in the midst of darkness. And, and, and I was just kind of talking, I think, passionately about that. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't want that. So I'm sorry, she goes, I do not want that. I said, what are you talking about? Everybody wants to live a life. She goes, no, I do not. She goes, I do not want to be seen. She goes, living life abundantly, that means that people can shoot me, they can knock me. I do not want, she goes, I do not want to live out there like that. I suggest that that's where we've been created to live. Is, and this woman was literally locked in her fear and, and it paralyzes, and it doesn't allow us, so we need to be converted from fear. It's, it's the woman at the well. She goes out in the middle of the day so that nobody would see her, and, and she's, she's locked in this cell that is her life, and she encounters Jesus, and the same woman who didn't want to be seen, who was hiding, who was frightened, runs back to the city and tells everybody, you've got to meet this person. She has this encounter with Jesus, and she's radically changed, and she's freed from the fear that li and liberated because of that. The question we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, what is it that I'm afraid of that doesn't allow me to live in the light of Christ? And that's one of the things I think that most predominantly we need to be converted from, fear. And how does fear paralyze us? Not allowing us to be seen. We need to be converted from control. Who here likes to have control, huh? Anyone? There's this, this idea that, that we can control our life. We just don't. I mean, we don't have as much control as we think we do, amen? A friend of mine has three kids, and she was terrified every time her kids went off to school. It's like she just knew something bad was going to happen. And I said, you have got to surrender your children to the Lord. You've got to give up the control that you have over this. And she talked to me about how what she, we, we ended up praying over a lot of time, praying for her to be able to give up control. And she says, Father Dave, this is amazing. Your next book, you just need to tell people, give up control. I said, that's not a book, that's a postcard, all right? But I think what the Lord wants to do is, is to convert us from this idea that we can control everything to this place that we have trust. Do we believe, do we trust in the reality that God is faithful, that he's a God who says he, and does what he says he's going to do? So we've got to be con converted from this this idea that we have to control everything, everyone has to be this way and look this way to the reality that we can trust the Lord is gonna take care of us, amen? 
You need to be converted from anxiety to peace. Be converted from anger to forgiveness. Be converted from regret to surrender. Be converted from our past to our present. As disciples and leaders of Jesus, we need to intentionally seek to be converted from something to something. And I think oftentimes we, we, we walk around and we're not even aware what it is that Jesus wants to convert me from. That's why I love the image that, that Father spoke of tonight this, at the Mass was the rich young man, what do I have to do? What is it? And what he needed to be converted from was possessions. Huh? The world radically needs us to respond to this call to holiness and this call to be converted. Because the world desperately needs to see it. We, we live in a world that longs for people of character, that longs for light in the midst of the darkness, and I need to be that. Amen? When I was in Vienna, uh, I was there for Palm Sunday, and those of you who have been to Gami, Vienna is really, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the, in the world, actually. Uh, it was Palm Sunday, and we started uh, Palm Sunday procession uh, over by the palace. So it was maybe, it's about maybe three quarters of a mile from St. Stephen's, the cathedral. So we're walking through the streets there in Vienna and people are having their coffee and their teas and shopping and all this fancy things. And, and we're walking through there with holy water and, and waving our, our palms, just a little mind, palms, those green things, you know those, huh? So we're waving those and everyone's kind of looking at us like, what is going on? And there's maybe 50 priests, maybe a couple hundred people. Well, at the end of it, I was talking with a cardinal and I said, Carl, that was really beautiful. Uh, and he said to me, Dave, uh, the faith needs to be seen. Huh? The faith needs to be seen. Holiness can be seen. I remember uh, as a kid, I had the best paper out in the world. I had a paper out in the hospital. So it was never snowy or that. I remember it was the middle of the afternoon, and it was a Catholic hospital, and I went down to the chapel on the way either. I was maybe 12, 13 years old. I was a very, very holy kid. Very, very virtuous. <laughs> I don't think that was actually funny. <laughs> so for those of you who thought it was, the friars will hear your confession. Um, but I'm busy, all right? Uh, uh, I walked into the chapel in the middle of the afternoon, and my dad was in the front. My dad was a doctor. Uh, in the front, kneeling down in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And as a 12, 13-year-old kid walking in the chapel in the middle of the afternoon, seeing my dad kneeling down before the Lord had a profound impact didn't say anything. Our faith needs to be seen. It has got to be lived out there. The Holy Father is saying time and time again that our faith needs to be lived in the streets. I had an occasion one time I was flying from, actually Pittsburgh, uh, out to Arizona where my family, but my parents live in Arizona now. So we're, we've been on, in the air maybe for 45 minutes and the guy locks himself in the bathroom in the front of the plane and starts banging on the doors and screaming and all this kind of thing. And, this was before 9-11. We were probably were totally freaked out then, but. So the, the pilot comes on and says, we're gonna have to land in, in Chicago. So we land the plane in Chicago. The police come on, they take this guy off. It was quite the scene, pretty kind of exciting actually. So we get back and we didn't get out of the plane. We get back, take off, we're flying back to Phoenix. And about an hour and a half, two hours into that, the pilot comes on again. And he says, because of the stop in Chicago, we didn't refuel, and we're actually going to have to stop in Albuquerque to get more gas because we're not going to get to Phoenix. 
So it's like, what? Well, this lady next to me, she goes, postal. And she's like, I cannot believe this. Why do we have to stop in Albuquerque? This is red gig. It's like, man, what's the alternative here? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's give it a shot. We're, we, I think we got enough. Let's, let's give it a shot, you know? I mean, seriously, what's, people ask me, you know, how was your flight? If I'm sitting here talking to you, it was great, you know? Well, she says to me, she goes, how can you be so calm? I mean, on one hand, like, what can I do about it? I don't have any spare fuel on me, but, <laughs> but, but, but what she's saying is, is, how can you be so, what she's really saying is, tell me about whatever it is that allows you to be calm. Huh? Tell me about Jesus. Because there's something different about you. I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I just didn't freak out that we had to stop for gas. <laughs> Seriously, we're living in a world that, that it becomes... You know, the, the light and dark is such that it's not that hard to impact people. Because the world is becoming so much more dark. And for us to be light and to be seen and, and to be able to recognize that there's something different about me, there's something different about you, and what is that ultimately that, that we love? That a life of holiness is a life of love. That the, the Lord dwells in me, and God is love, and in him there is no darkness. Huh? And this love, as John reminds us, this love casts out all the fear. Whatever it is, this fear, whatever. But that ultimately my life is reflected by the love of God. You know, I just did a wedding recently, just last weekend, and they chose, I don't, those of you who can get married, never choose the gospel, love one another as I have loved you. I mean, just stop with love one another, you know, but... But what, what does it look like to love as he loved? I mean, that, that has a profound impact on how we relate to people and how we lead, that, that my life of holiness is ultimately a life of love. That my life of holiness, my life, my life of transformation, means that I begin to look more like him. In the scripture, John 3, 28 to 30. John the Baptist says, you, can, you yourself can testify that I said that I am not the Messiah, but that I was sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom and the best man. And I stand and I listen to him. I rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made complete. He must increase and I must decrease that this is ultimately this life of holiness, this life of conversion, this life of metanoia, is ultimately a journey and a process of decreasing. Uh, of, of, of hopefully that, that he is seen more than me. I remember I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was saying, I just wish I could be invisible. I mean, I wish, I wish we could come in and, and do what, what we do and preach and all that and it could just be invisible. And he says to me, it's, it's probably not a good idea to write books then. That's right. But, and I suggest that it's the challenge of the leader, is that there really is this part of us that desires to be invisible. I mean, we wish we could just do what we do, but we can't. 
and, and that we're seen, and, and that I need to be seen, and, and that the Lord uses that. The Lord uses the way we treat one another. The Lord uses the way we love one another, and, and that, that our life ultimately, as I said earlier, needs to be seen. So this, this desire that, that we have sometimes to be invisible or to not be seen, ultimately the Lord is going to use us and needs to use us out there so that it's seen. The challenge that exists for those of us who desire to be holy is, is that we don't do things so to be seen, but by the things that we do, they're seen. Does that make sense? No? Huh? I don't do things. We don't do things so to be seen. Huh? But when we do them, they're seen. I, I, I don't, we don't love people so that people notice us. But when we love people, people notice us. We don't let people in line or help somebody out so as to be noticed. But when we let somebody in front of us in line, they notice. And I think it's the struggle and the challenge that we have is, is that on one hand, let him grow greater and I grow smaller, but that ultimately I can never be, the Lord is gonna use this, he's gonna use me. And, and this is at the heart of the spiritual life for us, is what does it look like for me to be emptied? What does it look like for me to be surrendered? What does it look like for him to grow greater and me grow smaller? So here's our other Greek word, kenosis. And this kenosis is, is the self-emptying, huh? So the Philippians 4 is called the canonic text. You all know it. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something that he grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself. And he took the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and it was thus to be humbled and self-obediently accepting death, death on our cross. That text is called the canonic text, it's kenosis. And again, this is one of the primary charisms of our Franciscan community. For, for St. Francis, the greatest sin was the sin of appropriation, taking things for yourself, when in fact, it's not about taking, it's about letting go. And as I said earlier, what is it that I need to be converted from so that I can be converted to Jesus? What is it that I need to let go of to be emptied? Because my prayer and my hope for each one of us is that I get rid of everything so that the only thing that remains is Jesus. Jesus, empty everything. Empty me. The, the kenosis is this self-emptying of God, that, that God empties himself and he becomes one of us. He takes on flesh. He looks like us. He talks like us. He empties himself of, of, of the godliness. Obviously, he's still God, but he takes on human flesh. It's the heart of the incarnation is, is, is kenosis. So what does that look like for me? In just a moment, we're going to go into the chapel, and we're going to have holy hour. So a couple of questions that you can ask yourself. Lord, what is it that I need to be converted from? What is it that I need to be emptied of? I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Uh, again, my community, I'm going to walk across Spain, but in my ignorance one time I prayed, Lord, do whatever you need to do to make me holy. Don't, don't pray that. You guys know better than that. But <laughs> do whatever you need to do to make me holy. I mean, empty me today. So the question is, what does it look like for you to be holy? And it, what does it look like for you to be holy? As we heard in the gospel, what is it that I need to do? Everybody doesn't have to sell everything they gave to the poor. What is it that I need to do? Okay, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And this is a tragic story because he says no. He says, no, I can't do that. What is it that you need to do? What is it that you need to be converted from? What is it that you need to be emptied of? 
so that you may be holy, so that you may be converted, so that you may come openly to eternal life. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that he has come not to serve, but to be served. And he's come to serve us and to make himself, as we hear, a ransom. I think I'll do that the other way around. <laughs> but that Jesus comes not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to, yeah, and to pay his life for a ransom, huh? That, that this desire that the Lord has uh, that we serve, and that we literally offer our life as a ransom. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.